Thank you everybody for joining. Today we're going to look at Parshas Re'eh. Specifically, we're going to focus on the very last verse, the climax of this week's Torah portion. But in order to appreciate the Chumash climax of this particular very, very fascinating Parsha, I think it's appropriate for us to see how really the entire closing of the Parsha becomes almost singularly focused on the notion of generosity, giving, caring and sharing. Already from the fifth verse, fifth reading, pardon me, onwards, from Chamishi onward, where the Torah opens with the words, Aser to Aser. And here we have the Torah speaking to us about tithes. We hear first about Maiser Sheni, the second tithe. And it's important to note that whilst the different gifts that Torah speaks about, gifts of the harvest, gifts of agriculture, are not always earmarked for the poor. Sometimes these are things or contributions that have to be made towards the welfare of Kohanim or Levites, people tasked with the spiritual service of the Jewish people, which means that we, the people, have a responsibility towards them to ensure that their material needs are looked after. Or whether we're going to talk today in this week's Parsha about how you take care of an employer, an employee, how you take care of an indentured laborer. Much of this focuses on the notion of generosity and giving, meaning things that you don't really retain for yourself. So again, from Chamishi onward, we hear about Aser to Aser. Incidentally, this is some of the readings that accompany us, the Jewish people, when we attend Shul on Yom Tov, especially outside of the land of Israel, and especially on the second day of Yom Tov. That's the day we say Yizkar. And as I explained in a lecture that I gave several months ago, called Yizkar in the age of COVID, the notion of Yizkar, that is Yom Tov-centric, or connected to the observance of the holidays, has a lot to do with the Torah reading, and a lot to do with this idea and ideal of Jewish giving. When it's a Shabbat, we begin earlier with Aser to Aser, otherwise we begin with the words Kol HaBachor. All of these are things that we are required to give away. Things that you don't keep for yourself. The Torah goes on to speak about disposal of undistributed tithes. And we speak specifically about tithes for the poor. And the Torah emphasizes the mitzvah of tzedakah. We hear about people who might have taken loans and didn't manage to pay them back. Did you know that biblically speaking, when the Shemitah year comes along and when we abstain from farming, we also have this idea of annulment of loans? It's a subject for another day, but it's also about generosity and giving. The sixth reading goes on to emphasize the mitzvah of tzedakah, freely translated or should I say mistranslated as charity, really mean righteousness, as we will address Bezrat Hashem during the course of this morning's class. We're going to talk about loans to the poor. That's a mitzvah. I know what you're thinking. You're, you're saying like, hey, if I, if I give a loan, I tie my money up, I can't invest that money because you need money to make money. Well, that's true. In a sense, giving a loan is also an act of generosity and charitable giving because you can't invest or enjoy that fund, that amount of funds that's tied up with somebody else. An emphasis on giving. An evadivri, indentured laborer, a person who was sold into servitude. We talk about somebody who usually serves for seven years. 
And the reason that he might have been in this situation was destitution, desperation. Or maybe this is an individual who committed crimes, stole money, and couldn't make restitution. At any rate, he worked as an indentured laborer. The Torah comes along and says there's a mitzvah called Hanukkah. You now must provide them with gifts, gifts upon their release. Once again, emphasizing the notion of generosity. The firstborn animals are brought to the Beit HaMikdash. They're given as a korban. Again, something I'm giving away. So whether I'm giving to poor people, those in need, people who are performing a spiritual service for the Jewish people and need to be provided for, taking care of indentured laborers upon their release, or giving gifts to God, all of this requires a certain open-handedness. All of this requires generosity of spirit and the ability to give unstintingly and unflinchingly. The seventh reading, which opens with the idea of the kol habachor, that offering, that special korban, the gift of the firstborn animal, goes on to speak about the notion of the celebration of our Jewish holidays. And as we go around the year, beginning with spring or Pesach, and then moving into Shavuot, and finally, after the conclusion of the counting of the Omer and celebrating the anniversary of receiving the Torah, we move forward into the fall or autumn. Now is when all of the harvest is brought in, so to speak, from the threshing floor, from the wine vat. That's when you celebrate the holiday called Sukkot, which culminates with Shmini Atzeretz. And the Parsha ends on a message of our pilgrimages that should be made thrice yearly to Yerushalayim. This has a lot to do with the spirit of giving and generosity. That brings us actually to the last verse, the climax of Parsha Sriye. The Torah says that when it comes to the celebration of the festivals, don't come empty-handed, but rather you have to come with a willingness, a willingness to bring offerings, a willingness to give, a willingness to be generous. And the Torah says that ish kimatnat yado, that once we speak about the notion of giving, matana, of course, is a gift, that the gift would be kimatnat yado. The gift would be in accordance with the blessing. Kibrechat Hashem elokecha, like the blessing that the Almighty has given you. In other words, the wealthier you are, the more you're expected to give. Generosity is supposed to be commensurate with ability, affordability. The more you can afford, the more Hashem expects you to pony up and provide for others. So I want to take a look at this verse. Let's go into this verse now in greater detail. Rashi says with regard to the notion of ish each person according to the gift of their hand or what they're able to afford, that which is in accordance with the blessing that Hashem has afforded you. So Rashi says that we refer here to offerings, animal offerings, known as shlamim. That's freely translated as a peace offering. A shlamim is a korban, an offering which is brought in the Beit HaMikdash. A portion of it is burnt or consumed on the altar, and much of the meat is taken home. And you get to enjoy it, but you're supposed to share it with others, with your family, 
and ultimately with those who don't have family. For the celebration of Yom Tov, as we will learn today, is very much tethered to the idea that we have a responsibility towards those who don't have the good fortune that we're able to enjoy. Rashi says, Each person, in accordance with that gift that he received, what you can afford, based on what Hashem affords you. Says Rashi, Somebody who's got lots of mouths to feed. Hmm. So he doesn't have to worry about bringing these shlamim offerings and having leftover meat, which, by the way, is not appropriate. That's kind of a, a sin of omission if you wouldn't consume or finish all that sacred meat. But by bringing offerings that wouldn't be in accordance with the amount of mouths you have to feed, it's almost a sin of commission. You did that on purpose. Who asked you to put yourself in an impossible situation? So Rashi says, you have ochlin, you have many mouths to feed, many people who are expecting to be there at the Yom Tov meal, v'nechosem merubim, and you have lots of money, you can afford a lot, yavi olot merubot. The person should bring many ascent offerings. And shlamim merubim. He should also bring lots of shlamim offerings. Now this Rashi is a little bit cryptic and hard to understand because the Rashi seems to be talking to us really almost in, on two levels. On one hand, Rashi says, if you have lots of people to feed, make sure you have meat for them. On the other hand, if you don't have many people to feed, bring many olot, which is ascent offerings that are consumed entirely on the altar. For a better understanding of this Rashi, it's a really good idea to take a look at the Kli Yokar. Kliyakar, one of the chief commentaries on the Chumash. Gedolei HaAcharonim, as he's called, one of the greatest of the later scholars or sages who elucidated and explained the Chumash to us. He was the Rav of Prague. If my memory doesn't fail me, he was the successor of the great Maharal of Prague. So the Kliyakar writes the following. He says, this Rashi is based on the teachings of our sages as they are redacted in the Mesechet called Chagiga. Yeah, you guessed it. Chagiga comes from the word Chag, which you probably know in Hebrew means holiday or festival. So this holiday or festival is supposed to be celebrated in a very specific way. The Torah tells us how we celebrate a holiday. It's not like you have a holiday, do as you please. Hashem says, I'm calling you home. This is a time for our family, our Jewish family, to come together. The pilgrimage to Jerusalem is considered to be a sacred duty. The Beit HaMikdash, that's our family home. That's where we commune, as it were, with God during the holidays. And offerings, korbanot, in times of the temple, were a key component of the celebration of our Yom Tov, of our holidays. And so, the Gemara the Mes in Mesechet Chagiga on page 8, side B, is able to derive from this verse that there are two expectations or two kinds of things God might await from Jewish people coming to celebrate the holidays in the Beit HaMikdash. Misha Yeshlo Nechasim Merubim, a person who is fortunate enough to have plentiful residuals. 
Yavi olot mirubim. If you can afford it, says, says the Talmud, if you're able, bring gifts to Hashem in a plentiful and generous way. That's an ola. An ola is an ascent offering all to Hashem. We walk away with nothing. But we demonstrate our love and our loyalty to God by dedicating ourselves and by providing these offerings. And I know, it doesn't really make sense to us. Why would God need an animal killed and burnt? But then again, it doesn't make sense to us why God would need us to put on tefillin. It doesn't even really make sense to us why God needs us to provide for somebody else. After all, if God wants to provide for them, why doesn't He do that? I'm glad you asked. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on. The point, of course, is that the difficulty in wrapping our heads around offerings or korbanot isn't really mutually exclusive of the difficulty in wrapping our heads around why God asks us for anything. Why would He need anything from us? And how do we even make any kind of meaningful contribution to the Master of the universe whose greatness is unfathomable? Our awesome Creator. We can't even fathom the creation, the universe He brought into existence. We certainly have no ability whatsoever to begin to fathom the essence of divinity. And yet, we believe. We believe that Hashem has expectations of us. We believe that Hashem affords us the privilege of nurturing and cultivating a meaningful and profound relationship with Him. And we do that on His terms, on God's terms. If you've been blessed, if you have plenty, bring lots of olot. What, however, happens if you have lots of mouths to feed? So, it's nice that you want to feed the Mizbeach, proverbially speaking, or bring many offerings in the altar in the temple, but you're going to have hungry people back home. So the Gemara says, if you have ochel in Merubim, if you have many mouths to feed, Bonov, one's children, Bnei Beito, one's household, which could and should, of course, include the poor, the destitute, the lonely, and the forgotten people. So then, one has to give in accordance with the blessing that Hashem has given him. The Kliyakar says, the blessing that Hashem has given you includes your family. In fact, that's the greatest blessing. The blessing of those who you think are a burden upon you, the needy, the lonely or destitute, that's a blessing. Because these are the people you're privileged to have a relationship with. And these are the people you're privileged to be able to help. King David, David HaMelech, expresses this in poetic prose in Psalms, Kapitel Kuf Chavches, Psalm 128, one of the Shir Amalot, the verses 3 and 4, David HaMelech says, Banecha, zeitim, your children gathered around your table like bunches of olives. Because this is the blessing of the man who is one who reveres Hashem. And so, here's the point. First, we talk about olot. Because olot, or ascent offerings, are dependent on, hinge on, your ability. How much you can afford. Whether you can give a lot or a little. Really, that's not what God cares about. God cares about you giving to the best of your ability. Ishkimat yado, 
according to what is considered a gift, what is considered generous from you. How generous are you is the question. And that's something that we can't answer by looking at the number, the amount of what you gave, unless we take into consideration the amount you have. That's the original theory of relativity. We can judge what one gives based on what one's potential to give is. So we're always going to put the potential against the actual. It's not just about Siddhartha. In fact, that theory of relativity defines God's expectations of us. You know, there was a famous Hasidic master, a Talmud, a disciple of the Magad of Mizrich, a peer of the Alter Rebbe. His name was Zibzusha. He taught Torah and tried to inspire people in a, in a hamlet, the Ukrainian hamlet, a little town known as Anipoli. Rebzusha from Anipoli. So Rebzusha wasn't nearly as brilliant as some of his other peers, like the Alter Rebbe, Rebbe Levi Yitzchak of of Chernobyl. He wasn't necessarily as passionate and fervent. He had his ability, as he had his wherewithal, the, the capacity that God had graced him with. So Zushi used to say, when I die, they won't ask me why I wasn't Zalman or Levi or Nachum. They will ask me, why weren't you Zusha? This is a very powerful Hasidic maxim because it essentially encapsulates the essence of what we call Avodat Hashem. Are you doing what you can do? Are you measuring up to the potential that you're capable of? It's all relative. For one person, the study of page of Talmud is an enormous achievement. For somebody else, that's hardly a yawn. What Hashem expects is us to do what we are able and beyond. And of course, that's how it is with tzedakah, with this very important and foundational mitzvah of giving. Our generosity should define us as people. As one wise person once said, you make a living by what you earn. You create life with what you give. What's the measure of your life? How generous, how charitable, how giving are you? That's the big question. Pashas Rie has a tremendous amount of focus on this very idea and ideal as mentioned in the outset from the notion of severance packages, dismissing somebody upon the period of indentured labor all the way to forms of tithes, good old-fashioned tzedakah, and yes, how we worship Hashem in the Beit HaMikdash. So the Kliyakar says that what Rashi is really telling you is it depends. It depends on the realities at hand. There are different kinds of blessings. You need to look at those blessings and see what you can afford. If you have a large family, if you have the privilege of many friends or people who depend on you, bringing many olot is not a good idea because you'll have hungry people and people should be fed and they should be happy especially on Yom Tov. On the other hand, if you don't have the privilege of a large family and you haven't been blessed with a circle of friends or dependents, 
but you do have residuals, you should give generously in accordance with what you can afford. But then the gift that's most appropriate isn't the shlamim, which would only leave you with lots of meat to eat and nobody to feed it to, but instead the appropriate thing then would be to bring the notion of an ola, of an ascent offering. I want to augment everything I just told you by sharing the words of the Sephorno on this very Pasuk. The Avadya Sephorno on this final verse of Parshat Rie, Deuteronomy 16, verse 17 says, Kimat nat yado is not only a verse that says, give more in accordance with your ability. It's also a verse that says, don't go beyond what you're capable of. Lo sheyitein kol God didn't ask you to give everything away. He doesn't expect you to go for broke. He says that's a foolish way of life. We should be measured. And we should give in accordance with what we can. He quotes the words of the Talmud in Mesechet Kesubot, in which our sages instructed us, al Yevazves, that even one who gives in a very, very open-handed way shouldn't be given more than 20% of his or her earnings. And really that's a, a good question for another day whether this is precise or exact. If somebody makes $50 billion a year, would it be reasonable for him to only give away 20%? Obviously not. But this is a general benchmark. That's what we should aspire to. We should aspire to giving a full 20% of whatever comes our way. We should aspire to be giving that away. That's a beautiful way to live beautiful way to live is you have five fingers. Keep four and be sure to give one. That's the meaning of living generously. Now these are all important lessons. And the Torah was very specific in choosing the word matana. As the rabbis tell us, kol hanotein, whoever gives a gift the ayin yafa notein. That is the Gemara in Masechet Bava Batra on page 53. It's also found on page 65 and page 71. It's repeated no less than thrice. Not necessarily in the context of giving, but rather in the context of understanding a business relationship, the difference between things sold or things gifted. But the notion is that when we drive a bargain, we often drive a hard bargain and we're very exacting. But when you give a gift that comes along with the spirit of generosity, tzedakah should be a generous thing, a gift. Ish kematnat yado. The interesting thing is that earlier the Torah doesn't use the word matana. The Torah uses an entirely different word only seven verses earlier. After discussing the holiday of Pesach, the Torah in chapter 16, verse 10, goes on to describe the celebration of the festival we call weeks, Shavuot. The Torah says, V'achsita chag Shavuot la'ashem. You'll make this festival of Shavuot before God. And here, we're going to emphasize, when we talk about the notion of Shavuot, that there too, there is a gift that's required or giving, generosity, caring and sharing that comes along with 
making this festival called Shavuot work. Is it only on Shavuot that we should be generous or giving? Rebbeinu B'chaya has some fascinating insight on the notion that this business of giving seems to be articulated specifically on the festival of Shavuot. He says, if holidays were about giving, caring, sharing with others, widening the scrimmage of our own family circle to include those who are less fortunate, why wouldn't we hear about that on Pesach? Rabbeinu B'chaya says, you must know, Gila, Zebekan, it was here that the Torah first revealed the notion of giving, the notion of caring and sharing and living generously as you celebrate a festival. It was here with Chag Shavuot. The verse we've been studying is the last verse of the Torah portion. It is the climax of Parshat Riyeh. It is almost a recap of everything that's been talked about earlier because in verse 16 we hear, Shalosh pa'amim b'shana yero'eh kol zechurcha. Thrice a year, all of your males will show up, says the Torah. They will come at the place that God selects or chooses. A euphemism for Yerushalayim, for the holy city of Jerusalem, and not Moriah, where the temple, where the Beit HaMikdash stood. And then we talk about Chag HaMatzot, Chag HaShavuot, Chag HaSukot, the three biblical festivals, the ones we call Pesach and Shavuot and Sukkot. But, but when you do that, Everybody's got to be generous. So the Torah essentially is recapping, reiterating that which it said earlier. It didn't say it when it talked about the first festival. It spoke of this generosity at the second festival. Why? Rabbeinu B'chaya says, Pesach is a week long. If you're not well endowed with financial resources, Pesach's an expensive holiday. It's a holiday that brings a good deal of anxiety. Many people can't afford Pesach. Every year, I have to share with you, every year as a rabbi, I always distribute funds before Pesach. There are always people asking, and there are usually people giving. That's the way it should be. Did you know it's a halacha? It's a law in the Shulchan Aruch, in the Code of Jewish Law? It's called ma'ot chitim. It's called money for wheat. Matzah is expensive. Passover food's expensive. Changing our eating habits, reorienting our kitchens and homes to reflect the Passover restrictions. These things take time, effort, and a good deal of coin. Lots of money. And it's always been that way. To pick yourself up and go to Yerushalayim for a week was a big deal. It's self-understood, says Rabbeinu Bachaya, that people would have to help, that have to assist others when it comes to celebrating the holiday of Pesach. Shavuot? There are no requirements in the Torah to give a special tithe or tzedakah or gift to ensure that people can celebrate Shavuot properly. Yes, it's customary to eat cheesecake, cheese blintzes, and all kinds of other dairy delicacies. But you know, it isn't a responsibility or something we're actually required to do, it's a custom. And while cheesecake is somewhat expensive, I've never heard of anybody's bank being broken over a slab of cheesecake. Matzah, on the other hand, that's a big deal. 
So when it comes to the holiday of Pesach, itself understood, says Rabbeinu Bechaya, of course we're going to have to have generosity. And that's why, he says, a week-long festival, the Torah didn't have to emphasize it. Avo Shavuot, but the festival of Shavuot, the way it's celebrated biblically is one day of Yom Tov. Taking a day off work, changing your schedule for one day, not such a big deal. Hayita Savur, you might feel or think, that there isn't really such a heavy or weighty responsibility attached to it. Like the other festivals. Therefore the Torah chose to convey this message specifically when it comes to the holiday of Shavuot. Do not go soft when it comes to generosity and giving for the holiday of Shavuot. It's just as important as the other holidays. It should also be celebrated with joy, pomp, and circumstance. Yes, you should make sure that needy people aren't left alone on Shavuot either. Not only at the Passover Seder, and not only including them under the roof of your foliage in your sukkah, but also ensuring that they can be joyous and they're provided for on the holiday of Shavuot as well. Okay, so what have we learned so far this morning? We've learned that it's important to be generous, that generosity can take on a number of different forms, that ultimately it boils down to affordability, and God's expectation of us when it comes to giving is always reasonable. We've also learned that the Torah first introduces this idea on the holiday of Shavuot. And here, my friends, we're going to come to what seems to be a really strange disparity or almost contradiction in the words of the Torah. And that's what this class is going to be about. Everything else has been stage setting. But now that you understand and appreciate the ideas of affordability and the holiday and how they work together, let me tell you that when it comes to the holiday of Shavuot, when God introduces us to the notion of giving and affordability, the Torah's words are, V'asita chag Shavuot. You should make for yourself a festival of weeks. You should make for yourself a festival of Shavuot. And the Torah says that after the end of counting these seven days and you observe this festival of Shavuot, this is done Hashem in honor of God, Elokecha, your God. So you celebrate this by bringing extra offerings and inviting guests, as we've discussed. The Torah comes along and says, Misat Nidvat Yodcha. Misat Nidvat Yodcha Asher titen. The extent of your generosity should be in accordance with which God has blessed you. How generous should I be? As generous as I'm able. Here the Torah uses the term misat nidvat. It uses the term of extent, measure, and talks about generosity. At the end of the Torah portion, the emphasis is Matnat yado, the gift of your hand, and it's kibirchat Hashem in accordance with what God affords you. Why does the Torah speak about the same thing, only seven verses apart, 
using a very different syntax? This is a powerful question. I think it's a question that a student of Hashem's Torah should and will ask. I have to tell you that I've searched. The only one who ever asked this question is our Rebbe, surprisingly enough. I haven't found anybody who addresses this. A huge discrepancy between the way the Torah introduces us to holiday-oriented generosity, meaning offerings and inviting guests over, and the way the Torah concludes it a short seven verses later. Let's talk about the word misat. What, what does that word mean? What kind of word is it? I wasn't sure. I went searching. I want to tell you what the, the Jastro says. That's the book that just fell down. That's why I didn't kiss it. It's not sacred. It's just a dictionary. So in Jastro's, Professor Marcus Jastro's Sefer Milim, which is, I guess, probably what you would call the most foundational source for English translation of Hebraic or Aramaic words, he maintains that the word misat is as much as in accordance with. Kind of a word that indicates the measure, in accordance. It's like a when something is in accordance with, it'll match with, or be in parallel to. So misat yadcha, the, 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 what you can afford, what, you're, what you have in hand, is actually what Hashem expects of you. That's nidvat yadcha. Misat nidvat. The amount or the, what you can afford, that's what asher titen. That's what you should give. Now, it's not that satisfying. So what, what does the word misat mean? I found no less than three different interpretations when I looked in just the basic commentaries on the, on the Chumash. Rashi seems to indicate that the word Misa or Misat comes from the term of measure, an amount, a measured amount. Rashi's words are Dei Nidvat Yadcha. The word Dei is like the word Dai means enough. Enough to satisfy something. So whenever we have finite amounts or expectations, we can say, well, that's enough now. There's only so much a person can eat, for example. There's only so much you can expect somebody to do. There's only so much that's appropriate. That's a measure. A measure of appropriateness. A measure of what fits of what kind of the circumstances require or ask for. So Rashi seems to be saying that you have to give in accordance with the measure of your affordability. Hakol lefi habracha. Your giving will be in accordance with the blessing. Whatever God afforded you, which means whatever you're able to afford. So that's Havei Shalmei Simcha. Bring these offerings that you can share with others so that others might be able to eat and enjoy as well. And then, Kadesh Kruim Lecho. Then sanctify the time and invite guests over and make sure that they are well fed. And we refer, of course, to the four individuals who might be destitute. And that is the notion of uh, God's special children, the Levite, 
who dedicates himself to spiritual service and isn't a landowner, doesn't have the same financial opportunities that the rest of the nation has. The orphan doesn't have parents. The widow who's left alone, bereft of a protector and a husband. And the notion of the guest, the resident alien, the person who's a convert or somebody who's joined the Jewish people but doesn't have family or even extended family. These people have to be your extended family. And in fact, the Torah spells this out very, very carefully in as much as it spells out your own individual family to tell you that your family must be taken care of, says God, with my family, those who are in need. So Misad, according to Rashi, is the notion of, the notion of a measure, the appropriate measure. The Ibn Ezra says that the word Misad is migizrat neis, like the idea of raising a banner. He says this is katam haramasyad, like the raising of a hand. Kifi misat yodcha seems to indicate generosity, giving, a person bringing forth a gift. And lastly, going back to Rabbeinu Bechaya, he says that the word kemisat means not in accordance with what you are able to give or can afford, but rather it also indicates the needs that you might be presented with. You have to give commensurate to what's required. If a person needs a little bit of help, there's no reason to overwhelm them. And if a person needs a lot of assistance, it wouldn't be helpful if you underwhelm them by giving them virtually nothing. So it's almost like the tzedakah that's expected is in accordance with the giver, the benefactor, but also in accordance with the one who receives. I have a memory as a, a teenager that Eber once said that we should try to give tzedakah in a way that is both beyond what we think we're capable of doing and beyond what, we, what the needs of somebody would be. I was, I was a yeshiva bachar and I didn't really get an allowance. And for me, $40 was a lot of money at the time. I don't even remember where I had it from. But I, I found a beggar who didn't have anything. And I remember giving him, people would give him a nickel, a dime, a quarter, maybe a dollar. I went over to him and I gave him $40 with a smile and it was like fireworks. It's, it's, it was such a good feeling. I remember it until this very day. And that's what the Rebbe was talking about. I knew I had given in a way which for me at the time was meaningful. And it was meaningful to the person too. And that's what I think Rabbeinu Bechaya says here when he says kimisas means that you have to look at demachsero. How much, does, how much does the recipient need? You, you have to be mindful of that. You have to be sensitive towards that. And the, per, the verse is telling you that it has to be commensurate with what you have as well. As the Sephardim said, no point in breaking the bank and going bankrupt. You have to give in accordance with what you can give. And the... Rabbeinu Bechaya says, very interestingly, that the word titain, the word give, is sandwiched between the words misat yodcha and between the words yivarechacha Hashem alokecha. And what Rabbeinu Bechaya seems to be saying is, misat nidvat yodcha, you'll give by the virtue of what the, the need that's available but titain, the, what you'll actually give will be kasha yevarechacha. 
in accordance with what you can afford. So you're going to take the circumstances into account and your circumstances into account, and then you'll see, okay, how do I navigate this? What can I give under these circumstances, under this situation? So I'm not sure Rabbeinu B'chai is saying something different than Rashi. Rashi says it's a measure. I think Rabbeinu B'chai is kind of developing, opening this idea of the measure, in which he talks about the measure of what you can afford and the measure of the need that has to be met. And both together complete the electromagnet of giving, if you will. That's what proper giving is supposed to look like. So I think we have an understanding, a working understanding of the words kemisat yodcha with a samach. I think we have a working understanding of the words ish kematnat yado. And we're left here with a big question. Why does the Torah speak in two different tongues when it's essentially addressing the very same issue? I mean, this is about holiday generosity. The Torah begins it, as Rabbeinu Bechaya said, on Shavuot at a time when you think, well, there aren't needs. And the Torah says, yes, there are. It's important that the Yom Tov be celebrated properly by everybody, including those who can't afford it. Especially those who can't afford it. And the Torah concludes this at the end of the Parsha by re-emphasizing that the celebration of all holidays Chaga Matzot, the festival of Matzah, Pesach. Chaga Shavuot, the festival of weeks, Shavuot, the anniversary of the giving of the Torah. Chaga Sukkot, the harvest festival, the time in which we acknowledge God's saving and miracles after we left the land of Mitzrayim and we were sojourning in a desert for 40 years. And we thank God and these three unique, different festivals, each brings with it a different energy, a different form of empowerment. Each uplifts us and inspires us in a different way that lingers on all year long. But it's not just about you. You need to make sure that you do this generously in the temple and for those in your environs. But why the different language? In order to understand this, the Rebbe says, we would do well to take a look at the notion of tzedakah in general. And the Rebbe directs us to a fascinating Hasidic discourse of the previous Rebbe. I'm going to share with you a mimer, a portion of a mimer of a Hasidic discourse that the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak of Schneerson, delivered in the year Tov Reish Tzadik. That's 1929. Just to give you a little bit of history, the previous Rebbe has suffered prior to this mimer, incarceration, brutal beatings. He was slated for an execution that was stayed, initially sent into exile, an exile that would have literally broken him and the movement. That exile was commuted from a decade long to three years, and then after a short 10 days or even less, the Friedrich Rebbe was set free. And this was a tremendous time. The spirit of Soviet Jewry, which was so downtrodden, was buoyed. And people all over the world took pride in the courage and the spiritual strength of the Rebbe. And, and now, in the end of 1929, the end of the year, Tafresh Tzadik, the Friedrich Rebbe is in Riga, where he has temporarily established himself. And of course, he's teaching Chassidus. So this is a mimer that he delivered just before Rosh Hashanah, 1929. 
in the third chapter, he says, if we are to understand what Hashem expects of us in the vernacular, avodat Hashem, our life of commitment, our life of service to Hashem, we need to understand the notion of tzedakah, the notion of what the world calls charity. Because he says, really, that's a, that's a paradigm for life itself. A life of generosity is a reflection of a life of service. And he asks a question. He says, tell me, why did God create haves and have-nots? Why did God create the notion of those who are affluent and wealthy versus those who are destitute and poor? Now, I know what some of you are thinking. God created the rich and the poor? You want to make money? Go out in their work and you'll make money. And I who have money? That's because I'm so smart and I'm so hardworking and diligent and dedicated. But you know, my friends, that's not really true. There are diligent, hardworking, decent people. Some of them are pretty smart. And they don't really have any wherewithals or residuals. They don't, they don't have the kind of wealth or affluence that other people have, even though they're perhaps smarter and very possibly more hardworking. It's true, hard work is a good thing. It's a, an important ethic. I've heard people say God helps those who help themselves. Sometimes He doesn't. Sometimes God chooses not to. You know, there's an expression, Not everybody who's smart actually has a nice bank account. And there are plenty of dim people who've done very well. We call that mazel. Good fortune, a luck. There's a joke they say about a rabbi who discovered a genie. And the genie popped out and said, Rabbi, what do you want? Is it going to be wisdom or money? And the rabbi thought quickly and he said, I'm a rabbi and my whole life is devoted to studying and teaching. How can I take money? And anyway, he says, if I'm, if I'm wise enough, I'll figure everything else out. And so he chose wisdom. And his students who had seen this entire exchange said to him, what, Rabbi, can you tell us now that you've been given so much wisdom? And he said, I should have taken the money. <laughs> My friends, you have to have mazel. Everything needs a mazel. There's an expression in the Gemara that even the holiest Torah scroll, the holiest artifact in the holiest place in the Beit HaMikdash also needs mazel. Not everybody who works hard makes a lot of money and not everybody who doesn't have any money didn't work hard and try. So where does affluence or wealth come from? We believe it comes from Hashem. It comes from the Creator. God decides who gets lucky and who doesn't. Who has mazel? Whose fortune shines and whose fades? And that can change person could be doing really well right now and they can have the wheel of fortune turn on them. A person could be suffering right now and tomorrow a whole new reality can unfold before them. The unfortunate part of the human condition is that when we are impoverished, desperate or wanting, we remember God. But when things go well for us, we oftentimes forget Him. 
Moshe Rabbeinu warns of this very phenomenon a number of times in the book of Deuteronomy. He says, don't let success get to your head. To say, this is my doing, my achievement, my accomplishment. It's a gift from Hashem. And so the Rebbe, the Friedrich Rebbe asks, okay, so if God's in charge and we believe He is, and God decides who has and doesn't, and that's an essential foundational principle of our faith, why did God make it that way? Why didn't God create a utopia where everybody would have the same? Isn't that what the communists were selling to the world? This utopian reality where everybody will share equally? Of course, it never works. Beautiful theory. Well, why didn't God make a world that was filled with equality? Well, the Friedrich Rebbe says, if for whatever reason there has to be some kind of checkered terrain and the strata of society, at least why does the poor person have to be punished by being a taker? Maybe somebody doesn't get to have as much as somebody else. So he gets one house, not three. He has one vehicle, not five. Okay. He's wearing ordinary clothes and doesn't get to have a fancy wardrobe. But why does he have to be a beggar? Why does he have to deal with the need to ask and receive. It's a debilitating thing. Robs one of dignity when you have to stick your hand out and ask. Is it not true, said the Friedrich Rebbe, that the Rebbeinu Shalelam, that the master of the universe is called the Notein Lechem Lechol Basar, the one who gives proverbial bread to proverbial flesh, meaning God who sustains everyone? HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Holy One, blessed be He, our sages said, is Zon umefarnes lakoil. Hashem gives everybody what they need. And so if Hashem gives them what they need, Hashem is giving the poor person what he or she needs too. Why then did Hashem arrange it that the poor person should have to ask another person, a rich person? Why couldn't Hashem just give the poor person what they need? He's God after all. He can make the poor person win the lottery. Why did he make him need to ask? The Friedrich Rebbe says that if you want to understand this, you would do well to take a look in the Gemara, Masechet Bava Batra, on page 10. I decided to follow his advice and I, I looked at the Gemara. The Gemara and Dafyud is speaking about the virtues of giving, the greatness of generosity. And the Gemara records a teaching that's attributed to the great sage of Israel, the leader of the Talmud Yerushalmi. His name was Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan said, what is the meaning of the verse found in the 19th chapter of Proverbs? What did Shlomo HaMelech intend when he said, Malva Hashem Chonen Dal? The Gemara says, Malva Hashem literally sounds like loan God or loan to God. That is done by being gracious to the poor. 
So the Marsha points out that for the Gemara to have license to expound on this verse and to offer it the teaching that it's going to, there had to be some kind of inherent question. What, what's, the, what's wrong with that verse? So the Maharsha says, what's wrong with that verse is that Malva sounds like I'm the giver. I'm giving God? She gotta be kidding. Is anybody that dim? Is anybody that foolish to think we are being generous to God, being kind to God? God is the source of all of our blessings. How could we be giving God? How could God be in debt to us? So Rabbi Yochanan expounded, and he says, If there wouldn't be a verse of Scripture clearly saying this, no mortal could ever say this if it wasn't something inspired from a higher place. Only God can tell us this. As if to say, you can't take this literally. It's like, it's like a euphemism, tongue-in-cheek. It says the person who takes a loan is like almost indentured to the person you took the loan from. God is indentured to us. God is shackled. He owes us. We owe God everything. Would you pay for your eyesight? Would you pay for your heart? Would you give for good digestion? How much did you pay for your liver? And assuming that you have mobility, how'd you get that? Can you hear? That's a gift. All of these things, all of these things are priceless. Hashem gave us all these things. Is any of us foolish enough to think God owes us anything? That's like the ultimate ugliness of entitlement. God owes me. He doesn't owe us anything. And yet, and yet God says it through his inspired prophets, through the author of the Ketuvim, the inspired writings. What we call the Bible, the book of Mishle. It's not just Solomon's wisdom. As, Nachmanides, as, as Maimonides Rambam says in Moranavuchim, King Solomon wrote this with Ruach HaKodesh, with the Holy Spirit. He was being, so to speak, informed, or his consciousness was being opened to truisms that are beyond the fathomability of an ordinary mortal. Hashem gave him this idea. It's got to be true. So we owe God. No. The Gemara says God owes us. You want God to owe you? All you need to do is give to others. Says the Friedrich Rebbe, think about what this Gemara just said. Vahainu. That is to say, the the one who is generous and kind to somebody who doesn't have, you're giving God a loan. He says, well, in that case, if you're giving God a loan, the Friedrich Rebbe says, when you give to the poor, that means it's not really yours. And the Friedrich Rebbe puts it this way. He says, when you have more than you need, God has given you a deposit. He expects you to use it well. Not only does He give you a deposit 
and allow you the privilege of sharing it with others, he tells you that if you do as you were supposed to, he'll replace it. He'll ensure you can keep doing that, and even more so. That's what Hashem says. The Friedrich Rebbe understood this to mean that when we have more than we need, it's not actually ours. It's not an act of kindness. It's not an act of generosity per se. It means you did the right thing. Hashem gave you the money so that you would have the privilege of sharing it with somebody else. The Friedrich Rebbe says something amazing here. He says you should know that the money we will spend, not only the money we will earn, the money we will spend or lose is preordained. You choose how you lose it. You choose how it'll leave your bank account. If you choose to give it to one who is in need, Hashem replaces that. If you don't, nobody will replace it. In which case, we now come to understand that from a Torah true perspective, the ability to give tzedakah is a tremendous gift. It's not a burden. It's an opportunity. Hashem is allowing us to be able to be His banker, His partner. He has a responsibility of providing for the poor. Hashem chose to enrich you by giving you the ability to service His extension so that you become the individual through whom Hashem provides for the one who is in need. What an incredible privilege. And Hashem says, if you give, if you do with the riches as I want you to, I'll pay you back. I'll replace it. The Friedrich Rebbe goes on to say, this is the meaning of Yoser, that far more than the benefactor does for the impoverished recipient, the impoverished recipient does by accepting the gift. Because when he accepts the gift, he gives you the greatest gift of all. He enables you to become Hashem's extended hands. And that's the reason, says the Rebbe, that God created the rich and the poor. Because he wanted to make us, those who have, meritorious. If you have, you've been given an opportunity. An opportunity to share. An opportunity to care. And to do something about that sentiment. And if you care to the point that you share, and you give generously, ultimately, Hashem has given you a great gift. And for reasons unbeknownst to us, some of us are on the fortunate end of giving, whereas others of us are on the less fortunate end of having to receive. But we're also giving. Because when we receive, we're giving back the gift of making somebody meritorious. Beautiful Maimon. The Friedrich Rebbe goes on and develops this idea. But the Rebbe, talking about the Parsha and highlighting the difference between Misas Yodcha and Ish Kematnas Yodai, this was in a, a Sikha that the Rebbe delivered on Shabbos Parsha Siyay. It was Rosh Chodesh El, 1964. So the Rebbe develops this idea and he, he shares this Maimon. And he says, You know, that this is the meaning of what it says in the book of Hayom Yom. And we find this that uh, calendar filled with amazing aphorisms to Hayom Yom on the 15th day of Ir it says that the early Hasidim used to say the shtikel breit 
is diner. Azevi minor. The piece of bread I have is yours, just like it's mine. And the Rebbe notes there that they would say diner, yours, before they would say minor, mine. It's, it's only mine because it's yours. It's only mine because I have the opportunity. I was given a gift to be able to give it to you. In other words, the person who has, has what's rightfully somebody else's. All he's been given is the right to give it, not the right to retain it. And if one retains it, well, if Hashem's banker doesn't do his job, as the Rebbe once wrote to somebody when he had promised to print volumes of Torah and then was reneging on his promise, Hashem might find a new banker, said the Rebbe. Because in the end, it's not our money. It's ours to give. You know, think about it this way. People have foundations today. And once your money goes into the foundation, it isn't really yours anymore. You can spend it on personal things. That's a federal crime. That's money that's not taxable. You have a tax benefit for it. It belongs to a charity. What you do get to do is decide which charity. That's your right. The Rebbe says you don't have to make a foundation to be in that position. If you have, you're already in that position. And so, the person who has, has to give. How much do they have to give? Kimat nas says the Rebbe, in accordance with what you've been given, because you've been given somebody else's money. You've been given what they need. And that's really the notion of a gift. It's a gift to you, so that you pass that gift on to the one who's rightfully able to say that's mine. That doesn't mean that a poor person should be arrogant and make demands, but it's the truth we have to be aware of. And that's why the Torah emphasizes the idea of a matana, because this is something you're obligated to do. You're obligated to pass the deposit on. Now, of course, you're going to say, well, if I'm obligated and it's a pekadin, that's not a, that's not a gift, that's not a matana. So the Rebbe says, the word matana is not what you have to give, but it's the Torah speaking to you about how you give it. You can give it like you're paying a parking ticket, or give it like you're gifting a grandchild a birthday gift. A gift is something that we give with an open heart, with a smile, with a generous hand. Don't just give the tzedakah dutifully. Give it happily. Kimat nasyadi, the Rebbe says. And that's what the Torah speaks about. Now, what happens to somebody who doesn't really have lots of extra money? They don't have disposable funds. They live from check to check. They make a living. Thank God. They don't have to stretch their hand out and ask for charity. They don't require alms, they don't require help, but they don't have huge amounts of extra money. They get by, as they say. Does a person like that also have the obligation of tzedakah? The Rebbe says, of course they do. Every single one of us has the obligation to give tzedakah. And so, the person who has so much money 
is actually obligated. It's not about generosity. That's that's the words at the end of the parsha. The words at the end of the parsha are, you must give, how must you give? The word generosity is not even mentioned here. It's about obligation. It's about rich people doing the right thing. Not living a selfish life, but being selfless. Being decent, being righteous, and doing it with a smile. However, when the Torah first talks about tzedakah, the Torah introduces us to a different kind of tzedakah. This tzedakah is misas nidvas yodcha. This is a measure. But the measure takes into account your feeling of generosity. Not what you're able to afford, but how much you push yourself to afford. The notion of nidava means a generous spirit. It means going beyond the call of duty. Kematnas yodai does not mean that you did something generous. That kind of tzedakah means you did the right thing. And you have to do it happily. But it's the right thing. And Hashem gives that back to you. The first form of tzedakah, the first time the Torah mentions giving, it's not speaking about somebody who has somebody else's money in their account, what the Rebbe calls a pekad in the deposit. But rather, it's talking about the amount that you might give in a generous way. When you don't have lots of extra money. And that's because you understand and know that ultimately, every member of Am Yisrael is deserving. Your own family is deserving. But you should be generous for those who have less. The Torah comes along and says, you can't be obligated in the same fashion. We can't make those demands of you. You're not blessed with enormous amounts of extra funds. But you too should be cognizant of the needs and what you can manage to do for others. Nedava. And here the Rebbe says, the Torah speaks to us in two different voices because the Torah wants us to know that if we will start to give in a generous way, not just giving what we have to give, but giving because, because we want to give, because we choose to give. Because even when I don't have an enormous amount of extra money, it's still the right thing to do. When you give kemisas nidvas yodcha in accordance with the spirit of generosity, then Hashem enables you to reach the end of the parsha. Ish kebirkas Hashem alikecha asher nasamach. And the blessing, as we learned, comes in two ways, two blessings. The blessings of a large family and many friends. The blessing of people who count on you. And the blessing of being able to bring olot, to being able to bring many ascent offerings, because you're able to. Many years ago, I asked a person who makes a decent living to participate in our activities here at Chabad. And the person said to me, and I quote, Rabbi, are you crazy? I said, I don't think so. He said, I'm not rich. You're supposed to ask rich people for money. I'm not rich. Rich people give money. I make a living. I said, they make a big mistake. Every Yid is supposed to give tzedakah. Every Yid has the privilege of being generous and participating in the activities that build Yiddishkeit and make our world a better place. 
from providing for those who don't have sustenance to ensuring that Torah is being studied and that the community is vibrant. Every single one of us has an obligation. People say to me, Rabbi, if I had a million dollars, I'd give it to you. I'd help you. I believe in what you're doing. And I say to them, but you do have $500. It's not about the rich, my friends. Tzedakah is not something that we give when we are awash in funding, have more than we could possibly imagine. Tzedakah, being generous, is a way of life for Jewish people. And when we are generous, and when we are giving, and when we go beyond the call of duty, and we're aware of the needs out there, and we give freely, Hashem promises us that in the end, we will have the privilege of moving into the second level of tzedakah, of indeed having far more than we require so that we can be privileged to be Hashem's bankers, so that we can be allowed to distribute His funds. And when you do that, Hashem says, it's only a loan and it's on me. I want to conclude, my friends, by sharing with you that our sages told us that G'dayla tzedakah, in the very same Gemara that we talked about a few moments ago, the Gemara also says that tzedakah has this enormous, powerful, profound ability to change the world. G'dayla tzedakah, great is tzedakah, for it accelerates the process of universal redemption. May Hashem give all of us a generous spirit. May we live with sensitivity. May we give to others with an open-handed way. And may we merit to receive Hashem's blessings in commensurate fashion so that very, very soon and in our time we will reach that blessed era in which there will be no haves or have-nots. Because when Mashiach comes, ma'adanim metsuyim ka'afar, there'll be no supply or demand. Everything will be available in such abundance that all we'll focus on is l'adasas Hashem bovad, to know Hashem and to feel His presence in our lives. May that happen. Speedily and in our days. Amen. Thanks for joining.